Well, last week we started in on a sermon about the covenant and covered a lot of material. We have a lot of people that uh, are here today that were not here last week. And so what I need to do is just give a little bit of a background. I can't go through all of it. We had an hour and 45-minute sermon or whatever last week on it, and I don't want to go back through it. But what I'm going to do is what we proved is sort of go through that to set the stage so we can continue on uh, today with the sermon material. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of problems uh, about the covenant right now. You hear a lot of things, well, we're a new covenant church, so we don't keep the Sabbath or we don't keep the holy days or we don't have clean and unclean foods or all of that. And uh, you hear all these different things about it. But we went through some questions last time. You know, uh, was salvation available in the Old Testament? Was salvation available to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David, and Enoch, and, and uh, Cain, and, or sorry, Abel, and, and Noah, and Job, and Daniel, and all the others? And of course, the answer is yes. So that we've got some problems. And we ask also, was there an old and a new covenant? Well, up until the time that you hear the word new in Jeremiah, there was just the covenant. It wasn't an old and a new, or anything, just covenant. And we went through and we proved what the covenant was. And there's a lot of scriptures that we went to. But the covenant is simply in, in Genesis 18 and also in, in uh, Revelation 21, that I will be your God and you be my people. Kind of an umbrella agreement. You know, we don't have every single detail. When someone says, will you marry me? I'll be your husband and I'll treat you properly and so forth and love. And, and you have a co marriage covenant. You don't have in there, well, I'll do the dishes or I won't do the dishes or I'll provide you, you know, $427 a month to run the house or 1427 You know, there's, it's just, look, you, you said you'd love me. You said you'd be my mate. And so, you know, it's an umbrella agreement. Well, the covenant is an umbrella agreement. It was made with, with Adam. I'll be your God, you be my people. Well, what's entailed? Well, you have to obey me. So you find things throughout the Old Testament being revealed to God's people. Sometimes it's just pack your bags and leave your family. Other times it's, well, go in and do this. Other times it's sacrifice your son. So as the blessings open up, so do some of the responsibilities. Same thing when God calls you. You know, as you begin to understand the calling, Maybe at the end, you're going to be like uh, Peter, crucified upside down. Or maybe you won't be. Maybe you'll go to sleep. You see, you don't know. There's not an agreement that you sign that says, here's every little thing that will happen. The covenant is, I'll be your God, you be my people. Do you agree? Yes, I do. Okay, come on out, do this. Here's my laws. And so we read through where God's men and women throughout the scripture had certain things revealed to them, laws, Sabbaths, statutes, all these kinds of things. And we found, and here is the big difference, that the difference in the Old and the New Covenant is not the promises, because you have eternal life, you have the Holy Spirit, and we proved that the Holy Spirit was available in the Old Testament, that Israel grieved the Holy Spirit, Israel resisted the Holy Spirit, that Moses told Israel in Deuteronomy 10 and many other scriptures, you circumcise your hearts. See, what that means is God had called them, revealed himself to them, made his law known to them, made his covenant known to him, the same covenant that he made with Adam, passed on down all the way to Enoch. Enoch was the seventh 
Because why does it say he was the seventh? Because they passed the covenant from child to child to child. We went through the names, all the people's names, and their names indicate that they understood the plan of God. Methuselah meant that when he dies, the end will come, or it will come, meaning the flood. Enoch's name meant teacher, and we know that Enoch preached. Jude 14 talks about him preaching that the Lord will return with all his saints. So the covenant and the understanding was passed from son to son to son to son. Not in all the families. We know that Cain went off, and, and because of his sin, he was put out someplace, and, and his children grew up without knowledge of God, and so they formed their own gods. But there was a group of people that passed the covenant on down, and along with that was all the promises, everything that went along with it. But then it's lost. It gets to Noah. God says, I'll, I'll give you my covenant, and it's passed on. Noah knew about the Sabbath. We proved that. Noah knew about the holy days. We went through that. Noah knew about clean and unclean foods. So all of those things are passed on down. But after Noah, we get to the Babylon, Tower of Babel, and after a few generations, the knowledge of God is lost. So Abraham becomes a first-generation Christian again. It's not passed on down. Now put in your notes Joshua 24, verses 1 through 3. That scripture will prove to you that Abraham came out of a pagan family. They knew a little bit about God, but it said Abraham's father, even Terah, worshipped idols. So what happens is the knowledge of the covenant is lost. The covenant is broken. It is lost. So God picks out Abraham and starts over and reintroduces this information. Now how does it get to the next generation? It gets the next generation by the, the act of circumcision. What you're supposed to do is write the law on the wall and cut your son's flesh when he's eight days old, which the child has nothing to do with that. He has no say in it at all. And what, what you are doing by that is you're saying, I am making my God your God. I am putting the covenant in your flesh so that every day, several times a day, all through your life, you will see that sign and it will be part of you. And that's why you can't intermarry unless you're circumcised, because the covenant goes through the children. So I write the law on the wall. I teach you when we sit down, when we lie down and everything. And then as you are, are exposed to that way of life, God is calling you, and you can either resist the Holy Spirit or you can yield to the Holy Spirit. And the covenant can be passed on down. Now, as we see that, then, then that's why you have some say in whether or not your heart is circumcised, just like you have some say in whether or not you answer the call when God starts calling you, whether or not you resist or whether or not you yield. So we follow that on down into Abraham's family, <clears throat> and we find that the covenant was passed, in fact, and confirmed to Isaac. So that meant that as Isaac grew up, God appeared to Isaac and said, Hi, I'm God of Abraham, not your God yet. But then he confirmed. That means with firmness. He said, Okay. I'll be your God, you be my people. And then he would give him things to do. And then Abraham did that. And then pretty soon, it was passed on to Jacob. And he appeared to Jacob. And we went through that. And those of you from Grand Rapids, a few years ago, I gave a sermon up there on YLU Day about Jacob's family. What a mess it was. But Jacob kind of took off for a while. But then he came back and was converted. And God changed his name from Jacob, which means deceiver, to Prince of God. Jacob said, you know, I saw God face to face and I didn't die, much like we do. We're, we're baptized instead of dying, see, that's the death. And so now Jacob embraces the covenant before he kind of stood away from it. Now he throws his arms around it, and now he, but it's too late for some of his kids because his kids are already uh, adulterers, murderers, uh, all kinds of problems, but it's not too late for little Joseph. 
So he passes the covenant on to little Joseph. Joseph's now is 17. He goes off into captivity. He's sold by his brothers. And there on his own, he's embraced the covenant enough himself that whenever the woman tries to get him to commit adultery, he doesn't need his mom or dad around to ask. He says, no, that'd be sinning against God. And he won't do it. See, he won't do it. So the covenant has been passed to him. So now we find it coming all the way down through into Israel. Now what happened in Israel is they lost the covenant. That's why all the kids had to be circumcised when they came out of Egypt because nobody had passed the covenant on to anybody else. They kind of had the knowledge of God and they kind of had it a little bit, but not, not really uh, like they should have. So we find God remembers his covenant. It's not some new covenant. It's not some you know, different covenant. He says, I'm going to now wake up these Israelites out there and I'm going to bring them out. See, he has to start over with them. He has to start over with them. He has to reintroduce the covenant and start over. And the only way it's going to get passed down is if you teach your children. Now, <clears throat> let's start off by reading Jeremiah 31 to, to just start off and read what the new covenant is. If, if we think it's eternal life, then we have to say, well, wait, how, how do we handle Hebrews 11? If we think it's the gift of the Holy Spirit... Now, how do we re handle the, the scripture David says, don't take your spirit from me? How do we handle scriptures that say, you have vexed my spirit, you resisted my spirit? In Nehemiah, it says, I gave you my good spirit to lead you. The thing is, is if you embrace the covenant and you follow it and, and, and you obey your parents and so forth, then you can move right on in and have a relationship with God. And there are many people that are righteous throughout the Old Testament widows and, and kings and sometimes like 7,000 during Elijah's time that Elijah didn't even know about, that had embraced the covenant. And he said, I see him. And Hebrews 11 is filled with scriptures about people who are faithful. We also read that the church is founded on what? The apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ, the chief foundation. Well, you know, if you build, you put the foundation first. That means Christ had to be laid before the, or the prophets could be laid on top of it. And we find Christ throughout the Old Testament. And Abraham understood that. Abraham first left the, the lands, and he continued to obey until finally at the end of his life, he had enough grasp of the future that he could sacrifice his son, knowing that in Hebrews 11 that he could be resurrected, knowing when he told his son, well, don't worry, son, God will provide the lamb, realizing and seeing Christ in the picture, so Christ is in the Old Testament. The, the men and women of the Bible in the Old Testament recognized that, and they had faith in the future sacrifice, just like you have faith in the sacrifice that already took place. It takes just the same kind of faith to believe that it happened, and that it can apply to you as it would to believe that it's going to happen. See, So the same faith was there. Now, the problem is, and this is what we're going to prove today, is we're going to pick up with Israel and show that the problem with the covenant was not the covenant, it was the people. The people didn't pass it to their children. And we'll see that it is a child-rearing problem throughout the Old Testament. That you grow up and your parents have left the truth and you grow up thinking Baal is God. Whose fault is that? And we covered that. Wouldn't be your fault. If you grew up thinking Santa Claus was real, is that your fault? It's not your fault, it's the people that taught you. If, if your parents came here from another country or your great-great-great-grandparents and they could speak German and you can't speak German, is it your fault? Well, no, because nobody, they, they lost, it got lost. It never got passed down. So what God says is, you have screwed up, Israel, so what I'm going to do 
is I'm going to step in and I'm going to call people and I'm going to be their dad and I'm going to pass the covenant down to them. Same covenant, same, same spirit, same promises. I will be their God, they will be my people. How many times in the, in the Old Testament do we see the prophets say, then you will know the Lord. Then you will know the Lord. See, because what happens is they don't know. They're all off wandering around because their parents have not passed it on down to them. So the new covenant, we get to Jeremiah 31, <clears throat> and here are some promises. Verse, um, uh, middle of verse 16, it says, um, re, uh, they will return from the land of the enemy. See, this is a promise of the resurrection. See, everybody's weeping in Jeremiah's day. In verse 17, he said, there's hope for your future. Oh, well, good. He says, your children will return to their own land. Verse 20, is not Ephraim my dear son? Then we get down to verse 23. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. When I bring them back from captivity, the people in the land of Judah and its towns will once again use these words. The Lord bless you, O righteous dwelling, O sacred mountain. Unquote. Verse 24, the people will live together in Judah and all its towns and farmers will move about with their flocks and I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. Now this is a dream. Verse 26, Jeremiah wakes up and he says, I woke up and I looked around and my sleep had been pleasant to me. Boy, this is wonderful. Now, God says in verse 27, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will plant the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the offspring of men and animals. By the way, the covenant is only made with Israel. If you're, going to, if you're a Gentile, you must come to Israel. You may not come necessarily through the physical Israel. You may skip that jump if God has called you directly. Uh, but nevertheless, the covenant is with Israel. Verse 28, just as I watched over them to uproot and tear down and overthrow and destroy and bring disaster, I'll watch over them to plant and build. In those days, people will no longer say, the fathers ate the sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. What does that mean? The fathers did something and the kids paid for it. You bite a grape, it's sour. Normally, your sense is you pay the price. Ooh. But in this case, he said they had a little, little story, a little parable, and they said, boy, this covenant, you know. I mean, when you worship God, you eat the grape and the kid's teeth are set on edge. Now, you would say that too. You know, here you are in captivity and you're saying, you know, one time in Israel they found the book of the law. It had been lost. One of the kings found it. They were doing a garage sale or something and sweeping out, you know, in the temple area, and some guy shows up with this book. He says, what's this? I don't know. Let's read it. And they read it, and they, they started tearing their clothes. They said, I can't believe that we've done this. Whose fault was that? You see, the fathers did the wrong thing and the kids paid for it. So God is saying, okay, I'm going to make some changes here. No longer are you going to say, well, mom and dad lost it and now I'm paying the price. Now I'm in Babylon. See, he says, you're not going to be able to use that parable anymore. Well, why? I thought the new covenant gave eternal life. Well, the scriptures in Hebrews say all those guys are dead waiting for us. They haven't gotten the promise yet, but they saw it and they embraced it. They understood it. So they understood that. The scripture says when Moses denied being the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he embraced the riches of Christ. So he understood that. He saw it. He recognized it. Just like he, he knew as much about it as Abraham when Abraham was able to sacrifice his son and see the future. So he says, you're not going to be able to say that anymore. Verse 30, instead, everyone will die for his own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, his own teeth will be set on edge. 
Now that goes all the way back to Adam. When God made the covenant with Adam and there's just Adam standing there, we covered off, hi Adam, I'm your God, you be my people and don't eat of the tree, dress and keep the garden, everything will be fine. Well, Eve, that wasn't made with Eve. Adam was created first. Then Eve was brought and then he was to teach Eve. He didn't do it. And the scripture says that the woman was deceived, but he wasn't. So when he broke the covenant and the penalty came on, what's the penalty? You're a son of Adam. Because of Adam's sin, death passed on all men. See, so that's not your fault. But you see, that's part of the covenant. When God makes a covenant, it's binding on you and your kids. And we'll find in the Old Testament many times, God will say, okay, I'm going to renew a covenant. And he explains it very clearly. He says, do you realize this goes on your kids? And the people say yes. So the problem, though, with that is if your kids, you know, if your parents don't pass it on, then you've got a major problem. So <clears throat> verse 30, I'm sorry, verse 31, the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant. But see, now stop here. They broke my covenant, and who's in prison? The kids. The kids. So it's not eternal life. It's not forgiveness of sins. Those sins were forgiven a long time ago. And we talked about how the fact that Christ, the sins could be covered until Christ was actually, actually uh, killed. And we talked about that if you owed a big debt, and uh, an entrepreneur called the banker and said, I'll cover his debt, but I'm out of the country and I won't be here for four weeks or four months. So I won't actually write you, I won't actually put the green backs on the table, but you put the debt on my account. And because the banker knows this guy has lots of money and his word is good as gold, he'll say, fine, and he'll release you from the debt, even, but the other debt is covered. And then when he gets into the country, he reaches in his pocket and he actually pays the debt and then it's paid. So that's how Christ's death, Christ was sacrificed from the foundation of the world. That's how Abraham's sins, David's sins, were covered, even though Christ hadn't shown up with his wallet full of not greenbacks, but his blood, if you will. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't pay for it in his blood yet, but it was covered. So this is, this is why Christ's sacrifice is available even in the Old Testament, before it actually happens. And it takes the same kind of faith, by the way, to have that happen. So they broke the covenant. You're in jail. Verse 33, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. See, that's the covenant. They will no longer teach a man his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. So you've got the new covenant is in the first part of verse 33, and the old is in verse 34. The new is, I'm going to write the law. So you won't have to rely on your parents. This is the whole issue about circumcision in the New Testament. Because the Jews would come along and say, have you been circumcised? And if you hadn't, then that meant that you didn't get the law from Israel. Because if you did, your dad would have circumcised you at eight days old. Or if you were older and you were a Gentile and you came in contact, then they would physically circumcise you, even if you're an adult man. And you came in through Israel. And they're saying, wait a minute, if you understand the law and you understand all the calling, then God is already doing this directly. 
So your heart is already circumcised. God is already your father, so you don't need to go through the physical Israel. But you're still in Israel. You're in spiritual Israel. So that's the whole issue. Do you know the issue of circumcision in the New Testament is strictly an issue of who's in charge? Is it going to be the Jews? They would show up and say, hey, I'm a Jew, and I came from all this background, and now you have to, you have to come through me. You have to listen to me. I have the law. I have the understanding. And the new covenant is you don't need him to teach you because God's spirit is in you. God is your father, and you already have that connection. So you don't have to go back to them. So that's where we were. Now, <clears throat> so the new covenant is I'm going to write it on your heart. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to get it done, and you won't need to be teaching your neighbors. You won't need to be teaching your brother. Now, once you are called, though, you can... Pass the covenant to your children, and it's up to you because your kids are holy. They're around you. They have access to the covenant. The covenant has been revealed to them. Put in your notes Psalm 25, verse 14. It says, blessed are he that God, uh, the secret, he'll reveal secret things to them, but he says he will show them his covenant. So when God calls you, you're like Abraham. If you're a first-generation Christian, you're like Abraham. God's broken the cycle, revealed the stuff to you revealed the covenant to you, and now it's up to you to pass it on to your kids. Now, your kids may embrace it or they may not. They may walk away from it. In which case, when they are resurrected, they will be under the new covenant, and they won't get away. It will, you know, God says, I will deal directly with you, and I will write my law in your heart, and I will be your father. But the first time through, see, it's, up to, it's between you and God. You have a choice in that. So... <clears throat> Okay, let's go back to Exodus now. Now, the story flow is that, and, and what we, what's very important to understand is that God in this covenant is, he works from the top down. Now, this is very important in the New Testament church because that is thrown out the door. You are baptized into Moses in the Old Covenant. Now, what does that mean, baptized into Moses? He, he's kind of like your dad. He's the one that teaches you all the letter of the law, the spirit of the law, and kind of leads you. But just like your dad, if you're raised in the church, there's a time when God kind of takes over and you sort of pass on into this covenant where God is writing the law in your heart and dad kind of steps back out of the way and, he, and you go on and you have your own relationship. So that's why you were baptized into Moses, but Moses leads you across, but then slowly Moses steps out of the way, and Christ steps in, and, and he sort of hands you off. Do you know why Moses didn't go in the promised land? Because when God, well, we'll see here in just a little bit. I'll, I'll wait on that. I get ahead of myself. Okay, let's go back to Exodus. So what we've done is God has now decided in Exodus chapter um, 2, Verse 24, God heard the groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, from there on, we're going to see the process of him doing like he did with Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and the others. He's going to give them a chance to embrace the covenant of their father. And he's going to reveal a little bit at a time. So, he did, first, first of all, he works through the elders and he explains that to them. Uh, we see the Sabbath uh, indications in chapter 8, verse 1, um, seven days, I guess, I guess it's actually chapter 7, verse 25, seven days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. So we see certain things start to, start to develop, 
And then we've got, as God is going to reveal himself to Israel now, he's going to reveal the Passover. Well, again, we're not too shocked there because we know that that would be part of the covenant. So that's revealed to them in chapter 12. He gives them instructions. Now, are they going to be his people or not? Are they going to do it exactly the way he said or not? Are they going to be like Abraham and keep his commandments, statutes, judgments, decrees, obey my voice, do whatever he tells them to do or not? So <clears throat> he brings them out exactly 430 days to the day on the first day of unleavened bread, which shows again that they had the calendar. The calendar was important to them. They understood the, some of them understood the holy days. Chapter 13, we find the consecration of the firstborn male, and this was to be the priest for the family, be the firstborn male. And he was to do that. You look at Job did his own sacrifices. You, f you read through Exodus 12 and you find the Passover. Each head of the family was to kill the Passover. No priest was to kill it. There's no priesthood here. And in fact is, you know, one of the problems with the Old Covenant, remember, is that the leaders screwed up and the people below would pay the price. What was the first mess up we talked about last week? Moses. Moses was faithful in his own household, which, by the way, shows is talking about the covenant. He says Moses was faithful in his household. He taught the kids, which meant that others didn't teach their kids. But he said Moses was faithful. But you know what? What did Moses do the first time that God talked to him? He turned down the high priesthood, didn't he? He says, I don't want to do that. He says, I can't do it. So now we've got to introduce another guy. So God says, okay, bring in Aaron. So right away, everybody, they don't even know what's going on. Behind closed doors over here, Moses and Aaron... And when they come out, we've got a high priest and we've got Moses. Well, later on, the high priest made some big mistakes. I wish that there was one because, see, Christ and, and the high priest are one office. But the office got split until Christ came back and then it put back together. That's why Christ is king and high priest. But <clears throat> um, so we've got the firstborn set apart. Now, later on, we'll see why that firstborn no longer offers the sacrifices. Okay, we get to chapter uh, 15. And they bring him out of Egypt, and we see in verse 27, there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees. Later on, you will see in the New Testament, when God starts with new Israel, there still are 12, Israel, 12 tribes of Israel, and there are 70 elders. And <clears throat> he begins to work with them now, and all of chapter 16, and we covered this last week, was the test commandment. He said, okay, I'm going to test you whether or not you'll keep my commandments. And he reveals to them the Sabbath. Didn't invent it. Sabbath was made for man, not Jews. So it was around for a long time. Now it was up to them to obey. Chapter, 20, or chapter 16, verse 28, after they didn't do it, he says, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? Bear in mind the Lord has given you the Sabbath. So verse 30, the people rested. So he starts revealing things. He starts testing them. He's working through the office of the leadership, and, and he does. Um, and again, I don't want to go back all through it, but you'll find that he talked to Moses. Moses then told Aaron. Aaron then told the leaders. The leaders then went back to the people and told them. So there's a chain. God has only revealed himself to Moses at this time, and even then only in a bush. But we see a process start to develop that eventually Moses will see him face to face. Now, if that's possible for Moses, why wouldn't it be possible for the leaders? Well, it is, and in fact, as we see it happen. And it's also possible for the people. Because part of the covenant, which we will see, God says, I'll go up among you, and I'll live among you, and I'll dwell among you, and I'll walk around among you. And he wasn't just whistling Dixie. He really meant that. 
And so there were times that he actually did walk among them, but then there's something happened and he didn't do that anymore. Whose fault was that? If you grew up 100 years later and God wasn't around, how, how come? I didn't do anything. Well, that was the golden calf incident, which we'll see. So we get through chapter 16. God gives him the Sabbath, gives him manna, which has a huge spiritual lesson to it, that six days they gathered this manna, and then on the seventh they didn't gather manna. And what were they supposed to do on the seventh? Get the, the food from the priest and, and see there would be a, a transition take place. This is why when Christ came, he understood that, and he said, man doesn't live by bread alone. And that was supposed to be the understanding. You relied on God six days, and then on the seventh day, you didn't have to go get your physical. Now is the time to get the spiritual bread, the spiritual food on the Sabbath. That's why it says, let's turn over, hold your place here. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and in verse 1, I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, now reading verse 2. They all, were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and they all ate the same spiritual food. Now, that food would be the writings of Moses. They ate the physical bread six days a week, but on the seventh, they're supposed to eat the spiritual food, the commandments, the statutes, the judgments. See, and, and they had it. Moses wrote it down. So they ate the spiritual food, but the problem is it didn't do some of them any good. Not all of them. Some of them it did good. It says they, ate this, uh, they drank the same spiritual drink. For they, now remember, we're talking about ancient Israel here. They drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Now, Hebrews 4 says they had the gospel preached to them. Now, there's only one gospel. And that gospel involves Jesus Christ. It makes everything possible. Christ is not the gospel, by the way. He makes the gospel possible. The gospel is that you will enter into the kingdom of God. God will be your father. You will be his son. You will live forever. That's the good news, that you will not have to die. Christ makes it possible. So it's not sacrilegious to say Christ is not the gospel. Christ makes it possible. So there's only one gospel. And if Israel had it preached, then that means Jesus was involved in it, wasn't he? He was the rock. So, we, uh, <clears throat> let's go to John 5.45, then we'll go back to Exodus. John 5.45. It says, uh, it is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. See, that's the new covenant. See, right here in John 6, he's fighting with the, the Jews who say, well, we don't understand this. You know, you say you can eat his flesh and drink his blood. We don't understand this. Like, we've got to understand it to teach it. I'm sorry, I'm in John 6, 40, uh, 45. Um, Oh, I'm sorry. I wrote down the wrong scripture. You're right. I'm wrong. John 5, 45. He says, do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. See, that means the Old Testament has got Christ in it. He wrote about me. 
But since you don't believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I said? Okay, back to Exodus then. Now, we're going to see something interesting happen. The people now are, are active. They're go gathering manna. They're not gathering it on the Sabbath. Now we get to chapter 17. God is going to start to reveal himself to the leadership a little bit more. Now remember, the pe poor people, they're way down here, and, and Moses tells Aaron, Aaron tells the leaders, the leaders you know, tell the heads of families, which we're going to get in the captain system, and then it filters on down to the people. Now the people just have to go in faith. They've got to believe. But Moses, you know, he doesn't have, he sees the, the bush and, and everything. But, you know, Aaron has to believe Moses. And then they have to believe Aaron. See, and there's a problem there because what if we get a bad link? You know, we ran into that maybe the last couple of years, haven't we? What if we run into a bad link? So, the pro what God does is he begins to reveal himself on down the line, on to the elders. Look at chapter 17. They don't have any water. They're arguing with Moses. So verse 5, the Lord says to Moses, walk on ahead of the people. So it's, it's not time for the people to be, you know, have me reveal myself to. But he says, take with you some of the elders of Israel. Take in your hand the staff, which you struck the Nile, and I will stand there before you by the rock, or some translations actually say on the rock at Oreb. Strike the rock. Now picture this. Moses goes along, word goes out. I know we don't have any water. Gather up all the elders, come with me. Well, the people are going, what's going on? Big meeting. Out they go. You know, there they go. There's mo How come we can't go? They can't. Just the elders. Okay, I don't know what's going on. They sure could have some water. They go up around the corner, and here Melchizedek, you know, Christ, God, the rock, he goes there, and for the first time they see him. He stands on a rock. Moses walks up with the rod that's done all kinds of stuff before and hits this rock, and out comes water. And the water goes all around, and the people, you know, down around the corner, here comes water to drink. And he did it inside of all the elders, and the elders saw it. Now, what would that do to your belief? Well, we've heard, you, heard about you from Moses, but now this is really something. So they go back around the corner, and the people are saying, where's this water come from? You won't believe it. Let me tell you. And here gives you a chance to go shoulder to shoulder with Moses and say, God is with us, God is for us, God will take care of us. And now you're now as a leader, you know, you're kind of embracing the covenant and now you're going to be a defender of the covenant. And when somebody starts to try to break it, you're going to be there to, you know, punch them out and say, "No, let's let's stay with this." You know, you're going to have faith. So, it says that that they did that. Uh, uh, strike the rock and the water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now, do you know why Moses couldn't go into the promised land? Because later on, when Christ is wanting to replace Moses, he says, take the, take the people out, and this time, I don't want you to take the rod, and I don't want you to hit the rock. I want you to speak to the rock. Now, we find the same thing in the New Testament. John the Baptist comes, and people are baptized into John, because John gets them ready for the Lord. And when the Lord comes... John says, you know, they say, well, he's baptizing more than... John says, hey, as he rises up, I must descend. I've got to step back out of the picture. I'm not the Messiah. So John steps back and Christ steps forward. And the disciples of John are passed on to Christ. You go through and read the first few chapters of John and you find that Peter, James, John, Andrew, you know, they were all disciples of John. You know, you can't be a disciple of Christ if you, if you refuse John's teachings. 
hold your place here. We're going to do a lot of flipping around. Matthew chapter 21. <clears throat> I know you've got to do a lot of flipping of the scriptures at home, maybe not so much in church services for a while. So we're going to do it. It's one thing we're known for at uh, United as we try to, to stick into the scriptures. Uh, this is Matthew 21. Notice what Christ says. <clears throat> Verse 23, Jesus came to the temple. He was teaching. The chief priests and elders came to him, and they said, By what authority are you doing this? Well, he asked him a question. He said, I'll tell you if you tell me if John was sent from God or not, and they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. Verse 25, he said, John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it heaven or men? And they discussed it, and they said, boy, if we say from heaven, he'll say, why didn't you believe him? But if we say it's from men, we're afraid of the people, because they all say that John's a prophet. What's causing the problem here, the people? The people are ready. They believe John is a prophet. It's the leadership, the ones that got the covenant handed to them. They are holding back the people, and Christ condemns them for it. And in verse um, 31, Middle of 31, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you because John came to show you the way of righteousness and you didn't believe him. But tax collectors and prostitutes did, and even after you saw this, you didn't repent. So he's saying there, you should have repented when you saw John pointing the way of righteousness, which, by the way, the way of righteousness was in the Old Testament. We proved that last week. Remember, Noah was an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So John shows this, he prepares the people for the Lord, and these people won't go. I mean, the, the leadership, they're afraid of their positions, and so they won't, they won't go. So the people are hurt. Old covenant, see? Old covenant still. The, the old, when I say old, it's a good covenant, but the problem is these people aren't getting it. Those guys should have stood up and said, look at John. Here, John, take our position. They should have been like the 24 elders in Revelation that take their crowns off and throw them at the feet of Christ. Instead, they say, you know, we've got to hang on to our positions, and they fought with him time and again. They didn't throw their crowns at, at the feet of Christ, but John did. John said, as he comes along, I must, de I must go down. Well, Moses made a mistake, didn't he? Moses got mad, and he smacks the rock twice, and God says, you didn't honor me, therefore you're not going into the promised land. So Moses and Joshua are really both the type of Christ. But see, he had, to divide, he had to divide it. Moses kind of stops, and then Joshua, which means Jesus in the Greek, leads him on into the promised land and goes from there. Now, he would have liked to use Moses, but he couldn't. Moses made a mistake. Now, again, Moses, you know, that doesn't count against him as far as eternal life, and we've all made mistakes. But the thing is, is the people suffered because of the leadership, and that is the problem with the covenant, if you don't get it passed on to you properly. Okay, let's go back to Exodus. So, <clears throat> we've made a progression here. Moses is talking to God. He's not just in a bush anymore. The people have seen, uh, sorry, the elders have seen God, seen the water. They're able to go back, and, and, and now you don't have to go to Moses. You can go to one of the elders. Yeah, I saw, you know, I think Moses is right. I mean, I saw him, the guy, there's being on the rock. We, we weren't that close. We didn't able to talk to him, but Moses hits the rock, water comes out. So, you begin this progression. Well, we're not done yet. Chapter 18 is about... Oh, I'm sorry, we're not done with 17. God begins to work now with this leadership structure. Verse 8, Malachites came. Verse 9, Moses said to Joshua, <clears throat> choose some men, go fight the Malachites. 
Now, when they fought, this is the story you know well, that Moses held up his hands and they won. His hands got tired, they lost. But notice a couple of people involved. Verse 12, Moses' hands grew weary. They took a stone, put it under him. He sat on it, because see, the stone is Christ. He is a prophet. It's built on the foundation of prophets and, and so forth. He sits on the stone. Aaron and Hur hold his hands up. Now we've got Moses, Aaron, Hur, and Joshua. Now all of these people, the people are starting to look and they're kind of starting to see that God has a relationship with them. They can look to them. You know, they can trust them. Now that information is passed on down in chapter 18 in the captain system where the laws, commandments, statutes are given to those people. And now the people can come to them. Now they don't all have his spirit. Some do. And later on, God gives his spirit to 70 prophets and then they can, you can go to them for more understanding and more help. But see, the spirit is starting to move out as you are obedient to the covenant. As you're obedient, as God, I'll be your God, you be my people. Do this, okay, God, do that, okay, God, do this, okay, God. God continues to bless you. You come along and say, pick up manna six days? No, I don't think so. I think maybe five days. Well, then I'm not your God, right? So things stop. God gives his spirit to those who obey him. It's through Christ. Christ slain from the foundation of the world. Moses knew about Christ. The gospel was preached. So you see, it's all available. It's all there. God didn't cut the people off, give them a covenant they couldn't keep, then poke Jesus in the side and say, these dumb people, we're making this covenant. A, they can't keep it because they don't have the spirit. And B, I'm going to kill them all if they don't keep the covenant and send their kids into captivity. And then when they wake up in the, in the resurrection, I'm going to say, see, you couldn't keep that anyway. Now I've got a new covenant for you. They're going to go, yeah, right. It's kind of like Santa Claus, right? You know, there's this guy flies all around and then, you know, and you, and you swear up and down that it's true and you do all kinds of charades to prove that there's a Santa Claus. And then one day the kid wakes up and says, there's really no Santa Claus. I say, no, that's right, honey. By the way, we're going to go to Sunday school this year and we're going to talk about a guy who doesn't fly around, but he died and he's been alive now and his name is Jesus. And you go, yeah. Remember Mr. Armstrong used to say about little Johnny, say, yeah, I'm going to check into this Jesus business too. Well, you know, if God was that kind of a God and gave them a covenant they couldn't keep and then beat them up for it, you know, I, I, why could you trust him now? Well, we read in Deuteronomy uh, last, last time, it says, what I'm telling you to do is not too hard for you. You can do it. <clears throat> so we get to chapter 18 and uh, verse 20, teach them the decrees and the laws and show them the way and the duties they are to perform. All right, that's fine. That shows the laws and all of this stuff were already there, but the only people that would know about it would be men and women that walked with God. But now we've got a chance for a whole nation to walk with God, not because they're great, but because they're sons of Abraham. So he says, okay, I'm going to be merciful. I'm going to show you my covenant. We'll see if you'll walk in it. So he's already got the laws. He passes it on down. What if some of these guys bend the laws a little bit? Hmm, that's kind of a problem, isn't it? But it's better than nothing. See, the problem with the covenant is the people. Maybe okay if you got a good dad. Maybe okay if you got a good uh, uh, king. Maybe not be okay. You know, you could live during the time, the last years of David, and then into Solomon and say things are going pretty good. But then the last few years of Solomon, you got your little grandkid, and your little grandkid comes home from school one day and he says, Grandpa, well, there's this big deal sticking up out there, and we saw some guys dressed up in some priestly stuff. So what is that? Oh, that's a, that's a God that they brought in from. Well, what is that? You know, the teacher said we're supposed to obey that or worship that. 
Well, that's one of the gods that Solomon brought in from one of the girls that he married. You know, he's 700 or 1,000 women. And, and, you know, see, you can see that it's starting to go the other way. Now, you can be involved, but the nation's going to pay the price. So the problem is with the leadership. So they teach him the laws, the statutes, and the judgments. Now, chapter 19, <clears throat> verse 3, Moses went up to God. God called him out of the mountain. He said, this is what you're going to tell the house of Jacob, people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant. See, this isn't some deal with a bunch of little uh, sacrifices and stuff. That was all added later because they wouldn't obey, so he gave them stuff that punished them. The Ten Commandments don't punish you. They're holy, good, just, perfect. But the, the, all of the rituals are not addressed here. The rituals are put on. It's like you got two kids, and one kid really wants to obey you, and the other one, he won't do what you tell him to do. So what do you do? you got to bring up a bunch of penalties. You know, well, if you don't do this, you know, you lose your allowance. you got to do this. you got to do that. See, it was forced on them because they wouldn't obey. So, <clears throat> uh, you know, that wasn't uh, 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 part of that at all. So they had a chance. He gave them a proposition, verse 6. He says, you'll be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation which shows that they would teach others. Verse 7, Moses went back, summoned not the people, but the elders of the people, set before them all the words. Verse 8, the people responded. Well, obviously the elders went out and told the people. So you've got this, this situation. But what is great about the new covenant is, slowly you see that the line of authority in between is being removed. To where eventually Christ is your high priest. You don't have to go to Moses. You don't have to go to the elders. You don't have to go to, you know, a group of people. That's why in the New Covenant he says, I write the law in your heart. I'm your father. He said to the ministers, the apostles, he said, don't let anybody call you rabbi, master. Don't, don't have them call you father or teacher because you're under the New Covenant. I'm your teacher. I will send the Spirit and it will teach you. Not he, we got sermons coming on that, but it will teach you. And I will be your father, I'll write it on you. Now, you have certain responsibilities, but you're not in this pyramid structure anymore. Because God says, I'm going to write the law. The covenant, the way it is here, he passes it to Moses. Moses pass It's like telling a secret to about 30 people. When it gets to the end, you never know what you got. You know, you never know what you have. So, <clears throat> they propose a covenant. This isn't something new. It's the same thing that, that all the fathers had. He just said, you want it? Well, yeah, okay. Well, you know, there's some things you've got to do. I plan on converting the whole world. Do you, you know, the scripture right here says that I'm going to have you be the kingdom of priests and so forth. Did they do a good job? They did a terrible job, didn't they? That's why in Romans 10 and 11 it says the Gentiles have a chance to come in now because Israel did such a lousy job, God has stopped using them blinded them, didn't blind them before. Zechariah 7 will tell you that after a while, they wouldn't listen, wouldn't listen, wouldn't listen. So God says, okay, you won't listen to me, I won't listen to you. And he stopped using it. And then he takes the kingdom from them, which you could enter into, and gives it to the ones whom he's calling. And so now Gentiles have a chance to come in. Do you know how long do you think you'd have to wait if you were a Gentile nation to hear really the truth if you had to wait on Israel? They were worse than the Gentiles were. See, so that's why the scripture says that it's great now that the Gentiles have the opportunity through the church. But then he says in Romans 11, don't worry, Israel will be saved. 
God will return, and God will renew the same covenant with them. Only thing is, he says, I'm going to, same covenant, but this time I'm going to be your dad. I'm going to write the law in your heart, and I'm not, and, and I'm not going to um, you know, just let anybody do that. Okay, the Ten Commandments are given. <clears throat> People agree to it. And the statutes and judgments. Uh, so for the first time, they hear this voice. They don't see anything, but the Scriptures say they hear God's voice. There's thunder, lightning, much like Moses' first time he heard the voice. Now, Moses later on got face to face. What makes you think, what makes us think that Israel wouldn't be face to face had they obeyed like Moses did? First, it's a burning bush. Here, it's a burning mountain. Smoke, talking, you go do. We already know that the uh, elders got a little closer, got to actually see him. Okay, so he gives them the commandments, the statutes, and judgments, and in fact, he would have spoken all of these things, but the people interrupted and they said, Moses, Tell him to stop. We're too afraid. You go back up, have him give the rest of the stuff, and then you bring it to us. And that's what happened. They heard the Ten Commandments, but they didn't hear the statutes and judgments because they stopped him. But God would have spoken that to them, and they were afraid. And Moses said, don't be afraid. God has done this to keep you from sinning. <clears throat> okay, now we've got all of the statutes and judge, judgments given. Chapter 24. <clears throat> then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you... Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, those are the two sons of Aaron, 70 of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone comes to the Lord, and so forth. So he did. Now, verse 3, the Moses then told all the people all the words and the laws, and they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. Now, that's a covenant. He says, I'm going to be your God, you be my people. Yeah, everything he says we'll do. Well, you know, when you enter into an umbrella agreement, you know, that's it. It, it. Not everything's written down. There may be some stuff in there like giving up your life for the truth. It, de it depends. It's going to develop. Well, they agreed, and they entered into the covenant. Now, <clears throat> verse 9. Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders went up and saw the God of Israel. And under his feet was something like pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. But God didn't raise his hand against these leaders. They saw God and they ate and drank. This is a marriage ceremony. And who goes there? So they come back down. Well, where have you been? You know, hey, my dad's one of those elders. You know, I can't wait. They get back. Hey, what happened? Tell me about it. Oh, you can't believe it. We saw God. We were up there. We ate and drank. What would you eat? Can, a, can the Lord furnish a table in the wilderness? Does that sound familiar? There's a scripture that said that some people didn't believe. And Christ would be that table later on. So they come back, Dad, tell us about it. Well, you know, it was like this. We went up the mountain. And, you know, did you, who'd you talk to? So they saw it. They were excited. Now the covenant, see, everybody's a little bit more revealed. You know, they've heard, you know, we heard from Moses, but now we've actually heard God. We saw thunder and lightning. And then the elders said, you know, last time we saw God on this rock, but this time we actually sat down and ate with him. So now are they going to be gung-ho for the covenant? See, they're supposed to be. Because the scriptures constantly tell that you're supposed to pass the covenant down to your children. And if you're a grandparent, to your children's children. So, now we run into the problem. Verse 13, I'm sorry, verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, come on up here on the mountain and stay here, and I'll give you the 
tables of stone and the law and the commands are written for their instruction. So Moses went out with Joshua. Now remember, we saw Moses already. We saw Joshua doing the battle, and we saw Aaron and Hur. So those are the top dogs. Moses went up to the mountain. Verse 14, he, Moses, said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and Hur are with you. Anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. Who's in charge of the store? Aaron and Hur. Do they know what they're doing? Yes. Do they have the covenant? Yes. Do they have the laws, the statutes? Yes. All of the uh, chiefs, the, the captains. Remember, their instructions were, here's the law, but if you got something that's really tough, go to Moses. And Moses says, well, while I'm gone, you go to Aaron and her. Now, what happens while they're gone? Well, we get to the <clears throat> incident in, uh, before we get there, let's go to chapter 29. Here are some things that are behind the scenes that are occurring with Moses while, while they're up there on the mountain. Uh, verse 42, for generations to come, this burnt offering is to be made regularly. This is Exodus 29, verse 42. At the tent of the meeting before the Lord, there I will meet you and speak to you. There also I will meet with the Israelites. Verse 20, so I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar and Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. And then I will dwell among the Israelites, and notice, and be their God, and they will know that I am the Lord their God. See, there's the covenant. I'll be their God, they'll be my people. And I'm going to dwell among them. Is that too shocking? No, we see him walking with Enoch, walking with Noah, walking with Abraham, showing up at Abraham's, eating a meal, saying, Abraham, your wife's going to have a kid in a year, you know, nine months, and, and back and forth. Abraham wa walking with God, saying, oh, you're not going to go destroy, you know, Lot's down there. You're not going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. How about for 45? Ah, no, okay. No, come on, Lord, 40. How about 30? How about 20? See, there's a relationship. God has walked among the people on the earth. And he says, Israel, I'm going to do the same for you. I'm going to give you my covenant that I gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and on down the line. You guys take care of it like something real special. You obey me and do what I tell you to do. I've already shown that I'll reveal myself to Moses and Aaron and, and all of those, and I'll work with you. Just, I'll dwell with you. I'll live there. I'll, I'll be there. So this was the promise. Okay, now we get... <clears throat> To chapter uh, 32. The people saw Moses was long in coming down from the mountain, and they gathered around Aaron, and they said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, we don't know what happened to him. What should have happened then? You're Aaron. You're her. You're, you're, uh, remember, Joshua's gone. So, so you're in charge. You're one of the captains. Whatever. This is a no-brainer, folks. This isn't real tough, right? I mean, somebody comes up and says, make us other gods. This isn't like, you know, how far can we, can we fly on the Sabbath if, you know, you know if, if it's only an hour flight and I have to go there and I can sit and read my Bible or I can listen to headphones and listen to a, a sermon tape and I'm actually on an airplane, though I fly 600 miles, but I'm, I'm kicked back in an easy chair. Is that traveling on the Sabbath too far? This is not a tough question. See, that, those are kinds of things that we struggle with. This is real easy. There is an idol. We worship. We go back to Egypt. You know, this is a no-brainer. Everybody that has ever sat down and listened to Moses, all of the captains know this is wrong. So what does Aaron do? What if you're six years old and you're kind of, you know, you don't really know what's going on, but your future is in their hands because the covenant is passed from generation to generation and that is the problem with the covenant. 
It is not that eternal life is not available. It's not that the Holy Spirit is not available. It is that you've got to rely on somebody else to write the law on your heart. And if they don't write it on the wall, you can bet your booties they won't write it on your heart. So the problem is you're standing here as a little six-year-old kid waiting, and you're watching. What if you're a teenager? You're 14. You say, well, you know, I can't really say anything, but, you know, this, looks, this doesn't look good. And you're standing there, and you're looking, and you're watching. And Aaron says, uh, well, why don't you go ahead and get some gold, and I'll make a calf. And he did. Bad news. The covenant has been broken. Now, do you know Aaron was supposed to die? You can put in your notes, Deuteronomy 9.20, Moses told Aaron later, he says, God was so mad with you, he says, he would have killed you, but I intervened. I intervened for you. Now, <clears throat> don't think that what we've gone through in the last few years is the first time that somebody has taken God's name and slapped it onto a pagan thing and called it a festival to the Lord, right? As in Christmas and Easter and everything else. Verse 5, Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there'll be a festival to the Lord. Well, hey, God's name makes it holy. Didn't we just hear that a few, you know, not too long ago? You know, God can make even pagan stuff holy if God's name's on it. I don't see that here. In fact, as I see a bunch of people about to lose their life over this. So they did it. Well, we know the incident, but there's something happens here that affects the rest of the Bible. What is going to happen here is who's supposed to be the, the one in the family that, that you're supposed to deal with? If you are God, who do you think would be the first one that would get to meet God? Actually, you know, it's hard to get tickets to like a big concert. Alan Jackson's in, in South Bend, you know, this weekend, and, and it's like you can't get tickets. You know, he's a big name. If it was me playing, you could get tickets, right? If it was Alan Jackson, you can't get tickets. If God's in town, do you think it might be tough to get in to see God? It'd be kind of exciting, wouldn't it? Do you think he would just take like anybody, or do you think he might start from the top of the family, say, okay, here's the family, bring us the patriarch. The firstborn male has been consecrated and set apart for me. Bring him to me. I will instruct him. He will go, he'll be like Moses in his own family. You'll go back and he'll, he'll teach. But what happens here is that we're going to see the covenant the responsibility for handling the covenant is going to be taken from them because of what happens right here. Moses comes back down. He is really upset. Verse 21, he says to Aaron, What did these people do to you that you led them in this great sin? Oh, don't be angry. And he gives this stupid thing that I threw it in the fire and this calf jumped out. <clears throat> now, notice what should have happened. Verse 25, Moses saw the people running wild. Aaron had let him get out of control, and they become a laughing stock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp, and he said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied. They weren't taking part in this. Just like a lot of stuff went on in the last few years that you didn't take part in. You stood back. You watched it. You said, I don't, I don't know if it's my place to go up and grab Aaron by the throat and get him on track here but I'm not taking part in it. And so we stood back, and that's what happened. But they pulled their sword out, and they began to kill people. Who do you think they killed? They killed the people running wild, but you know what? You never hear of her, H-U-R, again. Her is never mentioned in the Bible again. Aaron should have been killed, and Moses intervened for him. And guess who takes over the responsibility 
for the temple, for the law, for passing the covenant on down, for being a teacher, for handling all the sacrifices that pictured Christ, all of the washings. Who did you go see when you wanted to talk to God? Who did you go see about certain things? The Levites. Because right here, God set them apart. Verse 27, he said, This is what the Lord God says. This isn't Moses' idea. Every man strap a sword on his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, kill his brother, friend, neighbor, meaning if he's worshiping this idol. So the Levites did as Moses commanded, and about 3,000 people died, and Moses said, You have been set apart to the Lord today, for you are against your own brothers, and he has blessed you this day. Now, a couple of things take place. One, which we'll get into a little deeper, the Levites replace the firstborn. Now, hold your place here. Go to Numbers 3. Now, this, I'm telling you, when we finally get through this and we get into the New Testament, it will be so, the New Testament will absolutely jump off the Bible at you because the things that take place in the New Testament are between Christ and the Levites. Because the Levites have, they've blown the covenant. And so he condemns them in the New Testament and takes the kingdom away from them and passes it to you. So it doesn't make some kind of new thing. Here's the Holy Spirit or all of a sudden you have to love your neighbor as yourself. You had to love your neighbor as yourself in the Old Testament. Leviticus 19.18 or 18.19 says, don't even think in your mind evil about your neighbor. So it's not something new. Something's been in the covenant for years and years and years. Numbers 3, verse 9, Give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are the Israelites who are to give and holy to him. Verse 11, The Lord said to Moses, I have taken the Levites from among the Israelites in place of the firstborn, first male offspring of every Israelite woman. The Levites are mine. For all the firstborn are mine. So he, he does a trade. Numbers 3, Verse 11, um, verse 13, because all the firstborn are mine, when I struck down the firstborn in Egypt, I set apart for myself every firstborn in Israel, whether it's man or animal, they are to be mine. But he traded. Why did he trade? If he hadn't set apart Levi back in the golden calf incident, the firstborn male of every family would be a, his vocation would be a priest. Would be, a, would be a Levite, uh, not necessarily a priest, but be a Levite. His job would be like little Samuel. You grow up and you send him to the temple. Oh, he's our firstborn son in our family. And so, now he may not always go to the temple, but he would be the liaison. But now he said, no, I'm going to take an entire family of people because of something they did, and they now have the covenant. They are going to be responsible for the covenant. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 33. We will come back to Exodus. Deuteronomy 33. Here's a blessing. We all know the blessing that Jacob does before he dies in Genesis, where he takes each son and he blesses them. And we know the famous blessing to Ephraim and Manasseh. Here, Moses blesses the tribes. And look what he says about Levi. Verse 8. About Levi, he said, your Thummim and Urim, which was two stones, kind of like uh, today we would have a yes on uh, and, a, and a no, you know, and, and you would God would push a button and it would go ah uh, yes or ah uh, no, and you would go to the priest and these stones would glow actually, and and it was on the the uh, breastplate of the high priest. 
sort of a yes or no button, if you will. And um, he said, the man you favored, you tested him at, at uh, Massah, you contended with him at the waters of uh, Mar Meribah. He, Levi, said of his father and mother, I have no regard for them. What, is, what does it mean? It means that when they were worshiping the idols, if it was his dad or mom and he was in on it, he killed them too. If it was a brother, if it was a neighbor, it didn't matter. In other words, he chose God over family. That's why in the New Testament, with you being the next group that gets handed the covenant, he says, you may have to leave father and mother and son and daughter. You may have brother and so forth set against one another. The day may come when you have to do that. Will you do that? Will you be a Levite? Will you have? You know, many of you have had to leave family to be in this room. You love the family. It's not that they didn't love their father or mother when they had to kill them in this situation. They loved them. But they had enough faith in the, in the picture of the future that they said, I, I've got to do the right thing. How many of us have grieved and struggled over that decision? When we walked out and we walked in here for the first time, it's like, is God going to strike me dead? You know, the 11th commandment for years in our church has been, thou shalt never leave the worldwide church of God. And it was the commandment that was most kept. Even when the fourth and others were being broken, we kept the eleventh. But you did the right thing. You did the right thing. It was turmoil, but you were here and God is looking at you. You are like a Levite that God said, all hell is breaking loose all around you. Total chaos. The covenant has been turned upside down by the leadership and you're standing back saying, I'm not going to speak evil, but I'm not going to do anything. I'm not taking part in this at all. I am not changing my obedience. I'm not changing my habits. I'm not changing anything. No, un no leavened bread in my house during days of unleavened bread. But then there comes a time. And when God says, okay, the door is open, the door is open. You did the right thing. So he goes on and says, I have no regard for them. He didn't recognize his brother's or acknowledge his own children, but he watched over your word and guarded your covenant. And now, what's his job? Verse 10, he teaches your precepts to Jacob and your law to Israel. See, that's his new job. Now, they didn't do so good as we get to the end of the Bible. And that's why when we get to Malachi, the whole book of Malachi is a condemnation against Levi. That even down through the generation, they blew it too. But right here, everything's fine. Let's go back to Exodus. <clears throat> so the big change to the covenant. God says, okay, I'll still do the covenant with you, but we're going we're gonna to make a couple changes. One of them is, you're firstborn, you keep him. I've got Levi, he stepped aside, he's my man. My law, the temple, everything, he's, he's it. Levi, Levi, he's my man. You know, if no one can serve me, no one can. So Levi goes that direction. Aaron is gone. Yeah, Aaron's still around, and so, but Aaron, technically, you say he's dead. He should have died. Her is gone. So, and, and this, there's also, ah, there's so much I could go into, I won't do that. But there's another change, chapter 33, and this one hurts. Chapter 33, the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people that you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I'll give it to your descendants. And I'll send an angel before you. Hmm. Oh, well, verse 3, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up with you. Ah, why? Because you sinned. I'm not going with you. So now we've got, what if you're six years old? All of a sudden you say, you mean I can't see God? What did I do? 
The fathers ate the sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. If your children grow up and they don't know God, if somebody grows up in the deepest, darkest regions of Africa or the deepest, darkest regions of the ghetto in the United States, it doesn't matter where you are. If you grow up and you don't know God, it's not your fault. And if you die, if you're aborted or you die as a little baby or you grow up and you think that Buddha is God and you die, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. That's, that's the diabolical uh, idea of the, of the religions of the world. Well, you, you burn forever in hell. That's why we've got to you know, get, get you saved. The covenant with Abraham or with Adam is, you know, you got to get it from, from your parents. And so you got whole races of people that didn't get it from their parents. Whole races that came from Cain. That were, he said, Cain, pack your bags and leave. You, he, he had to get away from God after he killed Abel. And so all of their children grew up without God. Whose fault is that? It's not their fault. But when that person is resurrected, they die for Adam's sin. It's appointed unto all men once to die. How did, how did death enter in? Through sin. How? Through Adam. So you die because of Adam. But when you come back to life, you now have a new dad, and he's called Jesus Christ. Christ is the second Adam. See? He comes, you come back and you say, wow, I don't even know you. That's fine. You don't know me, but I'm going to start dealing with you, and I'm going to teach you about God the Father and all of that. And so now, you, you, when you're resurrected in the great white throne judgment, you're not going to, uh, there won't be other religions around. There won't be other people around trying to teach you. God will not leave that to anyone else because that is your chance. And at that time, you enter into the new covenant where he says, I'm going to write the law in your heart. There's no Satan. There's no other governments. I'm going to do it. Now, whether or not you respond is still up to you. So <clears throat> he says, I'm not going to go. Well, verse 4, when the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn. So they had looked forward to that. They believed that. Now, King James is a little clearer in verse 7, but basically it says that Moses now takes the tent and pitches it outside of the camp. New International seems to indicate like, well, he used to do that. No, the camp, it used to be in the middle of the camp. But now the Lord is still around, but he takes it outside the camp, and now if you want to see it, you've got to go, go outside the camp, which is symbolic of someday going outside the camp of Israel. And Christ suffered outside the camp, and that's why Hebrews is written, because the Jews who had embraced the covenant through their parents and now begin to understand now God the Father is their Father, and Christ is a high priest, and they don't really need the temple, and just the fact that you have the badge that says, Hi, I'm a Levite, that doesn't mean anything as you come into the church, that it's not necessarily that important, and all of a sudden they, they kind of get confused. So the whole book of Hebrews is written about that, saying that, look, don't worry about it, we've got a temple to come, uh, Christ suffered outside the camp, you probably will too, which was letting them know that you're probably going to get booted out of your Levite club and your priesthood club, and you probably won't be able to go up to the temple anymore, which would be very important if you grew up in that. But all of a sudden he said, look, we may have to go outside the camp and suffer too, because so did Jesus. So the covenant, I'm telling you, applies to every scripture in the Bible. It applies to everything. So, verse 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. Now, he also talked to, to Joshua. Moses would return to camp, but his young aide Joshua didn't leave the tent. Verse 14, <clears throat> the Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Moses said, Well, what if your presence doesn't go with us? Now, what does presence mean? Now we've got a mercy seat that his presence comes down on only one day a year on Day of Atonement. That's why it's the most special day. But before then, God said, I'll go with you. He says, okay, now you've broken the covenant. Well, 
I still like to be your God and like you to be my people, but I'm not going to go with you, but I'll send my presence. So once a year, they only went into the Holy of Holies with all these special sacrifices, and the cloud would come, it says the presence would come over and hover over the, the mercy seat one day a year. So there was a change. That's not good. I, I'd rather have the other way. But see, we got no say in it because the covenant was passed to the dads on down. Verse 16, how will anyone know that you're pleased with me and your people unless you go with this? By the way, this scripture is very important. Put in your margin right next to it the scripture Exodus 31, verse 12. Those two scriptures together will show you, uh, hang with me, it is, not this, it is God that makes you holy, and the fact that he is there on the Sabbath makes the Sabbath holy. So we have the Sabbath, but notice it says, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Not too long ago, we were told in the New Covenant, Jesus separates us. That's what makes you different, the Holy Spirit. Well, what made him different here? It wasn't the Sabbath. See, it was the presence of God, and the Sabbath was part of it because it was all in the covenant and the commandments and everything else that they got. They kept that. And if they don't keep it, then God says, I'm not going to go with you. So, yes, it ties together. But the thing is, it was his presence. He says, that is what will distinguish you. So back in the Old Testament, even, the fact that God was there. So don't let anybody tell you that in the Old Testament they had the Sabbath as a sign, but in the New Testament we have Jesus, and we have the Holy Spirit. That's what sets you apart. Baloney. It set them apart then. That is what set them apart. God makes the Sabbath holy. The Sabbath doesn't make God holy. The Sabbath doesn't make you holy. God makes you holy. And so God made the Sabbath holy, and God makes you holy. And that's why it says in Exodus 31, in verse 12, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, You must observe my Sabbaths, plural, because obviously if, he's, if they're going to be his people, he needs to reveal to them his plan for mankind, which is what the holy days do. That's why he says Sabbaths, plural. This will be a sign between me and you for generations to come. Good, fine. So that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. See, they tried to say in the Old Testament, oh, the Sabbath made you holy, but now we have Christ. Sort of like you turn loose to the Sabbath. The Sabbath never made him holy. God made him holy. And the Sabbath all went together with it. It's a package deal. So it's very important to understand that. Now, notice the problem with the covenant, chapter 34. <clears throat> Verse 5, after Moses cut out the second set of Ten Commandments. The Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name to the, uh, the Lord and passed in front of Moses and proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, is compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. But notice, this is a puzzling statement. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation. Well, that's not too good, is it? But see, that's the covenant. That's the problem. He says, you know, third and fourth generation down the line here, they're going to suffer because of what you guys did. And so whenever you enter into a covenant, it goes on your children. Look at Jeremiah 16, verse 10. <clears throat> We can literally go three, you know, two or three more sermons on this material because it just it just continues to, to go on through. And when you get into the New Testament, uh, 
the things that Christ said, all of a sudden you go, I never, I'll give you a scripture. I want you to think about it. I, I can't find it. Does anybody in here have a computer, a Bible program with them? Do you? Oh, okay. Um, there's a scripture that says something to the effect, until the time of, of John, or up, up, up till the time of John, or past the time of John, right in there somewhere, it says, the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men have laid hold onto it. Now, now you think about what that scripture means. Do you know where it is? In Matthew. In Matthew? Yeah, so I couldn't find it on the way here, but, but it says the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing up until that point. And then after that, it said, uh, that, and forceful men have laid hold onto it. You, you think about that, look it up, and, and we'll answer that question next week, and it will make all the sense in the world. It also help you realize why we don't have a, an army like the Catholic Church, why we don't do crusades, why we don't torture people to get them to embrace uh, the covenant. Jeremiah 16, verse 10. When you tell these people all this, and they say, you know, why has the Lord decreed such a great disaster against us? What wrong have we done? What sin have we committed against the Lord our God? Then say to them, it's because your fathers forsook me, declares the Lord, and, and followed other gods and worshiped them. See, they did it. Well, man, that's a problem, isn't it? Problem with the covenant? No, no, because Abraham got all kinds of stuff. Well, the problem is, is that the fathers have control of it. Now, notice <clears throat> verse 19. This is what the... Uh, uh, they say, O Lord, my strength, my fortress, my refuge in time of distress, to you the nations will come from the ends of the earth and say, Our fathers possessed nothing but false gods, worthless idols that did them no good. See, in other words, and that's what we inherited. Do men make their own gods? Yes, but they're not gods. Therefore, I will teach them. See, not their fathers. This time, I will teach them. My power and might, then they will know that my name is the Lord. That's the new covenant. It's, it's no different. He just says, this time I'm going to teach him. Well, sometimes he did. Sometimes he does deal with fathers, and, and he breaks the cycle. He did that with Abraham. Maybe he's done it with you. Maybe you're a first-generation Christian. God has intervened. He broke the cycle. And you go down through. He did it many times. Brought him out of Babylon. Broke the cycle. Started over. And that was what... John, uh, John the Baptist's job was was to get them back on track to preach repentance. You say, let me ask you this: Why did John baptize? You know, a lot of people say, well, why? you know, I don't understand. If John baptized, why didn't he lay hands on him and give him the Holy Spirit? Why did John baptize the baptism unto repentance? Because he was trying to get people ready and recognize that they had broken the covenant all down through the line, and that they were ready for the Lord. And when Christ came, he came to do what? Daniel 9 says, to confirm the covenant. Not make a new one, to confirm it, make it firm. Say, so, you know, I, I promised Abraham this, and your not-headed fathers won't let me fulfill the promise, so I'm going to confirm Abraham's covenant, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do the teaching. I'm going to do the teaching. I'm going to do it by the Holy Spirit. And so now you won't have to go through a bunch of Levites in, in Jerusalem, a bunch of Levites in Pasadena, or Arcadia, or anywhere else. I will write the law in your heart. I will give you the Holy Spirit. That's why on Pentecost the Holy Spirit came on each person. It didn't come to one place and you went over and plugged into it. It came on each person. Not to Peter and then others. It came on each person. So the Spirit of God, he says, now for us, he walks in us and dwells in us. That's why you're holy. 
That's why your kids are holy. Okay, we go back to uh, Exodus then. <clears throat> I got through about one third of what I wanted to get through. <clears throat> okay, let's um, let's look at some stuff. Uh, some uh, some stuff. Let's look at look at some stuff in Deuteronomy. <clears throat> it's um, it's also interesting, by the way. You know the, the the famous story that we read and we we hear used to hear so much about with um, uh, Korah, the rebellion of Korah. You got to go back and read that sometime with now this information in your mind. You know who Korah was? There were Korah and there were a bunch of uh, Reubenites with him. Who was Reuben? Firstborn. And they were 250 of the leaders of the community. And they came to the Levites and said, we think you guys are, you know, well, we should be in charge. God killed them off because God had already passed the, the, the caretakership of the covenant to the Levites. So you already blew your chance. That's what the issue was about. It wasn't, wasn't Moses. The issue was that. That was the issue. And it was passed on, and he made sure it was passed on. And that's when they took the, um, the stick and everybody, all the leaders put, put a stick in the temple, and then they came back, and, and Aaron's had, had almonds on it, budded in one night. There was, no, there was no roots or nothing. They all you know, cut a dead twig, and they laid it in there, and the next day they all came in together, you know, kind of like drawn straws, and they went in and looked, and, here, and they all wrote their name. They carved, you know, like, you know, I love Susie or whatever. They, they carved their name on this stick, and they came out the next day, and here it was on Aaron's stick. He carved his name. It had, it had almonds on it. He says, how'd that happen? He says, see, Aaron's in charge. And then they took that and they put it in the Ark of the Covenant to always show. Ah, Matthew 11, 12. Okay, that, that'll be the one. Matthew 11, 12, you can look that up and think about that. Matthew 11, 12, thank you. Okay. Um, numbers, uh, numbers 20, you can put this in your notes too. I'll give you some more to study. Numbers 20 is the incident where Aaron hit the rock instead of, or sorry, Moses hit the rock instead of talking to it. And, uh, and as you read that, I think it'll, it'll help you understand. And by the way, that whole thing will really come alive when we get to the New Testament and we read John 6 and 7, where the bread is offered and then the water. It's the same exact thing. Same exact thing. And all the Levites turn it down, and the ones that stay are the ones that are the New Testament apostles. Just goes right through. It's, it's absolutely amazing. The statement that Jesus made to Peter when he said, Peter, who do men think I am? And he said, oh, I don't know, Jeremiah, the prophet. Uh, some say you're John the Baptist resurrected. you know. And he says, I, okay, but who do you say I am? See, who, he asked first, who do men say I am? See, now, remember, men are passing the covenant. Men are in charge of knowledge. He said, who do men say I am? Well, and they had it all wrong. He said, but Peter, who do you say I am? And he says, well, I think you're Christ. And he said, Peter, he said, Simon Bar-Jonah. What does Bar-Jonah mean? Bar means son of Jonah. So he brings his dad into the picture. He says, who, who do men say I am? And he said, Simon, son of Jonah, flesh and blood, your mom and dad, or the Levites, or all men, have not told you this, but my Father in heaven has revealed that to you. What is that saying? Therefore, you're under the new covenant. God has, God has made the covenant with you. He's already writing it on your heart. So you don't have to listen to the Levites. That's why when they came and they said, hey, how come your master doesn't give a temple tax? 
And Peter said, uh, well, Peter lied. Peter said, well, he does. And then when they got off together, Jesus said, uh, what, what do you think, Peter? And he says, well, I don't know. Uh, and he says, uh, if somebody has the kingdom, who pays the taxes? The sons of the kingdom or the people that the kingdom rules over? And he says, well, the sons are free. They don't pay taxes. He says, well, then we're free, but so that we don't offend them. And he, he sent him out and he fished and he got, got some money and he went and paid the temple tax. The thing is, is through the New Testament, we will find that the kingdom is taken from the Levites, who were very faithful back here, but over years degenerated, and it's taken from them and given to another group of people. And they now have the covenant. Not some new covenant. It's, it's, it's still the covenant, but the fact the way they received it is a new way. That's why it's called new, and that's why when Paul is talking to the Levites, and, and the Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, he said, now that we've got the new covenant, the old one is fading away, which means you don't have to listen to the Levite all the time. You don't have to listen to the priest. You can go up to the temple and do stuff if you want to, but it's fading away because those guys aren't in charge of the knowledge anymore. The knowledge comes direct. You don't have any need that any man teach you. So this will open up all of, all of those scriptures. Well, um, Let's go to, we'll finish up just a couple of scriptures in Deuteronomy. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter uh, 10, verse uh, 15. It says, The Lord has set his affection on your forefathers and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore do not be stiff-necked anymore. So there he's showing that you have a part in it. Chapter 11, verse 18. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds and tie them as symbols in your hearts and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you stand up and sit down and, and so forth. Verse 22. If you carefully observe all these commands I give you to follow, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all these ways and hold fast. So this is, again, he's talking about the way you did it was you taught your children, you walked with the Lord, you wrote it on their hearts and minds. And then God, of course, his spirit was there available working with them and, and would go from there. Chapter 29 of Deuteronomy, he renews the covenant. See, they got to start over again. You know why? Because the fathers disobeyed. They wouldn't go into the promised land and they never circumcised their kids. That's why they have to do that in the book of Joshua before they enter in the promised land. They hadn't kept the covenant. In fact, is there are certain scriptures that indicate they still worshipped idols while they were wandering in the wilderness. And Acts 7 will tell you that. I think it's 7, 6 or 7. Chapter uh, 29, verse 12. You're standing here in order to enter a covenant with the Lord your God, a covenant the Lord is making with you this day, sealing with an oath, to confirm you this day as his people that he may be your God. Same covenant. As he promised you and swore to his fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So it's not a different covenant. Verse 14, I'm making this covenant with its oath, not only with you who are standing here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God, but also with those who are not here today, the children. So when you say you're going to do it, you better be careful because it's going to be binding on them. <clears throat> Verse 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may follow the words of this law. Notice that we may follow the words of this law. So it's not too hard. Chapter 30 says, um, 
middle of verse 9, the Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous just as he delighted in your fathers if you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you to do or beyond your reach. See, we were told in the past it was. See, they couldn't do that. They had to have the Holy Spirit. So, so God just gave them this covenant and then proved that they couldn't do it and then killed them all for it and then gave us this new covenant and you kind of walk into another room and now it's all new covenant. That's not true. It's all one situation here. And then this is quoted in Romans 10, but verse 12 it says, it's not up in heaven, so you have to ask who will ascend to heaven to get it, and it is Christ, as Romans 10 points out, who will have to go up to get it. And see, uh, the, uh, the old men of the Bible understood it was Christ, and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. It's not across the sea that you have to say, well, who's going to go get it and proclaim it? Verse 14, no, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart that you may obey it. Not that you can't obey it, that you may obey it. And that word, of course, spiritual writings of Moses, Christ was preached to them, the gospel was preached to them, it was right there. The problem was it didn't always get passed to the next generation. And when it didn't, then you, you bit the big one. To the third and fourth generation, you paid the price. Now, with that, we'll, uh, I plan on being here next, next Sabbath, and we will start with Joshua, and we will go through, and at that time we will just hit the highlights of, of the child-rearing problems in the Old Testament, that how one, one time after another, God would rescue them, set them up, reveal his covenant to another group of people, and they'd make it maybe one generation, and then they'd lose it again. It's kind of like having a combination to a, to a safe. And, you know, all these good things are in it, but you can never write it down. You know, it has to be passed on down. And then, you know, after a generation or two, you know, you, you go to it and, you, you know, I got two of those, but I just can't remember, you know, and, and you can't get to it. And then you die off and, and so forth. It's not like if you've got kids, they grow up and they know the locker combination. It has to be taught to you. The secret has to be revealed. And once it's given to you, it's up to you to pass it on down, along with all the other promises. And so we'll go through and we'll see that it just didn't happen. And that's what the whole, every single prophet is about. That they, that they didn't pass it on down. God restores them. They lose it. And then finally we get into Malachi and we find that whole message to Malachi is to the Levites preparing them. And them saying, I'm going to send somebody. He's going to come. He's going to preach. And you better listen to him, which is John the Baptist in the office of Elijah. And if you don't, it's going to be bad news. And it was because they, they lost their office. They got it taken away from. And all of that passed to the church. And then that, see, then we can move into the New Testament and see where we fit in all of this. So I hope it's helping you. We've got a long way to go. We've got a lot of information. I know I cover it very quickly, but I'm telling you, if we didn't, it would take 10 sermons to go through all of this stuff. So, you know, hopefully you can go back, go over your notes and think about it, and then we'll be sort of ready to, to, to go back. <laughs> Laughing. What notes? Uh, we do have some tapes, by the way, and I know I've given these an L card, and, and they say the best thing is, to, is just to get the tapes and go back over them. But uh, seriously, I, I can't. I've got to go fast over it so we can get the overall view, and I have to also each time take maybe 10 minutes and bring them up to speed. Now imagine next time we get somebody in here who's never been here, how are you going to start off with that? 
you know, you're just going to take off and they're going to say, what? Israel was offered the Holy Spirit and, and the you know, they say, what, what? But after you go through it, and if you weren't here last week, if you get the tape, you, you can't disprove it. You know, you go through and it's just right, right down the line and it will absolutely open the New Testament. One final comment. I really, um, just like Mr. Keeley was saying, you know, God is pleased with us. And I really believe that we are on the edge of a tremendous growth in understanding. I mean, I've got stuff that I have learned from other ministers that, that we got away from the old Moses mentality where, where you had just one town, you know, one zip code that had all the knowledge and that had to filter down to us. In the New Covenant, you have the Holy Spirit. You don't go to Moses. You don't go to... Now, it's not that you can't go be anointed and, and, and be counseled, and, but we're not the answer all. We're just here as servants, see? That's why I told my wife, I said, I, uh, she said, well, are you going to have services? And I said, honey, I said, I made that... Those people make that decision. I am their servant. And when, if you're a servant, you don't make the decisions. You, know, you, you don't call up and start telling people what to do. I'm here as your servant. Now, I'll, I'll help you know, counsel and so forth like that. But the, in the New Testament, it is a different situation. It's totally different. So as a result, knowledge is, is, is coming down like I've never seen. I mean, I, I have learned so much. And I firmly believe that the famine of the word is out on the world, but it is not on the people who have stood up for the truth. Like Mr. Keeley was mentioning, the ones that, that went through and said, no, I am holding fast. I am Philadelphia. Now, the door may be shut. And we may try to, you know, we're going to try to preach the gospel, but don't make your decisions on where the truth is by who's preaching, you know, who's preaching the gospel. We, the door, you know, the scripture says, when I shut a door, no man can open it. And we don't know. That door may be shut. Now, we've got to keep pushing and kicking like, like it's going to open, but we don't know. But the thing is, is the scripture is also very clear that the bride has made herself ready. And right now, if you look around, that's what's happening. People are studying. People are getting convicted. People are, are digging in saying, this is my church. It's not, you know, this is what I believe. And not just, well, who's teaching what and I'll go wherever they are. This is what I believe. And the bride is getting ready. Now, maybe the door's shut and we might not get the message out. Maybe, maybe the end is real close. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But the point is, is I think God is revealing a lot of information to us.